It's well, make, I'll, here's what I'll, I'll say. Let's go Dallas. ahead and talk about this piece of shit. <laughs> Here we go. Fellas, don't drink that coffee. Dish in the Percolator. Uh, my name is Sean O'Donnell. With me, as always, is Dallas McLaughlin. Dallas, how are you? I don't know, man. Uh, for everyone uh, listening, Dallas literally just finished watching Firewalk with me for the first time. Mm-hmm. So he's like mm-hmm. going straight from that into this, which is a recipe yeah. for disaster or for a really entertaining podcast. Well, I just think it's it's like kind of a bummer because now it's like, oh, uh, who killed Laura Palmer? You know, like we're back to that place. <laughs> we at this point should welcome in our our, you know, he's been on the show a couple times. This is our really good friend and Twin Peaks fan, John Lorenz. John, it's good to have you back. How are you? I'm excellent. Thank you so much for having me along. I'm excited to be the podcast's listener, and a uh, big <laughs> shout out to myself. As I listen to myself. Hey, you will enjoy listening to this podcast and being one of two people who do. Um, John, it's good to have you back. I was thinking about this. I watched Fire Walk with me for the first time with you in like 96 or something. I think you were, I've mentioned this before, you you were my Twin Peaks friend back in the day. Okay. And now, now I have like two Twin Peaks friends so and you're both of them so it's great to oh, have you here me in that? yeah you are is that cool I, i'm gonna be honest sean i'm gonna be real honest <laughs> should we stop now are we done we should have stopped at the end of season two <laughs> this movie was the biggest piece of trash <laughs> i hated it from the very beginning did you really sean sean and john yeah. The fact that anybody would have enjoyed this movie <laughs> is beyond me. Uh, this is going to well, Here's what I'll, I'll say. Let's go Dallas. ahead and talk about this piece of shit. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> well, Dallas, here's I, I have to say, I completely understand how you feel. And as I believe I've said before <laughs> when I've been on, um, I watched the entire series like kind of front to back in two weeks uh-huh. on Laserdisc in the early '90s, and when it was done, uh, it that that set started with episode one. So then I went and rented the pilot, and then got to see the pilot again, which I had seen on TV. But then it had that weird ending, and then. Right as I finished that, literally the next week, Twin Peaks Firewalk With Me came out on video. So I'm like, oh, thank God. Now all of the answers will be revealed. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to figure out what happened. Oh, my gosh. And I, when I was watching it, all I could think of for the first 40 minutes was like, you know, Chet Desmond is on there. 
I'm going, that's not Agent Cooper. That's not Agent <laughs> Cooper. What is this? I don't care. Where's the guy? Where's the guys? What you know? And I was just furious the entire time. And then when we finally went back to Twin Peaks, then I thought, okay, now we're gonna get some huge reveals. And I was I was frustrated, but I wasn't um not in a way where I was like sitting there flipping the bird to the TV set, but I was, I definitely understand your pain, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Dallas, as you're just going like, this is nothing I asked for and it's giving me nothing that I think I need. Um, And it's only after subsequent viewings, which I had to, then when it was done, I'm like, okay, I have to watch this thing again. What did I miss? And it's, it's only been time that has allowed me to appreciate the things in it that I love so much. There are things in, in this movie that I think are some of the best things they ever did. Um, but what would those be, John? <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Anyway, I'm going on. No, 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 no. I completely understand. I completely understand your feelings, and that was my initial reaction as well. Like, I just felt like that David Lynch had said, like, I'm not going to give you the Twin Peaks you know and love. Instead, I'm going to traumatize you. And <laughs> um, you yeah, know. well, I think I think that's so, fair. Like John and I have been watching this for literally two decades. So when I watched it again this week, I know what I'm not going to get, like you said. And so I think that we're able to appreciate some of the better moments of this film and. I didn't think you were going to like it. I'm just going to tell you right now. But this is a Are podcast. Are talking to me? Yes, of course. This okay. is a podcast where you and I watch all of Twin Peaks, and you cannot get through. We can't go into season three without you seeing the movie. I'm, I'm questioning going into season three after this. I, I understand. And if maybe this is going to be Dish in the Percolator with me and John from here on, <laughs> <laughs> or maybe this is the last episode of this podcast. I did are my there, best. Are you guys replacing Curly with Shemp? Is that what's going on? <laughs> well, let's let's start because I'm sure we'll have many, many... Do you many... know when you watched Saved by the Bell? <laughs> Remember when you watched Saved by the Bell and you were like, oh, I really like Saved by the Bell, and then someone told you about Good Morning, Miss Bliss? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I thought that, that was... Like, was that before? That was yes, a prequel. That was, before. That so was on the Disney was... Channel? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So what you're saying is... I don't care about Max or all these other people that are in this show. Wow. I want my Slater. That's a really great analogy, Dallas, and I'm not kidding. Um, I I hate you for saying that, but I agree with you more than I'll ever admit. This might be... (laughs) That might be our thesis statement, is that Fire Walk With Me is... What what was it called? Good Morning, Miss Bliss? Yes. Keep talking. Wow. Okay. Uh, well, let's keep moving forward with that just sitting in our brains. Um, this movie is called Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me. Uh, it was directed by David Lynch. Uh, of course it was. Uh, the writers on this was David Lynch and also Robert Engels, who is a writer on the show. It's worth noting that Mark Frost wanted nothing to do with this idea, Dallas. Um, it's also worth noting that Peter Engel was the producer of Say by the Bell, and that's not a joke. <laughs> <laughs> this is just getting weirder and weirder. Um, That's very important. So, 
Mark Frost did not want to go backwards. He wanted to keep going forwards with the story, and David Lynch was obsessed with this idea. Um, some people would say that was great that he did that. Other people would have rather had Mark Frost kind of got his way and had a say, and they wrote this together. Anyway, we're going to get that in the next week, but at the time, this is what Lynch was focused on. Well, and so, can I throw in another yeah. bit? Yeah. Trivia, which is just that um, Kyle McLaughlin was a little soured on the just the way that it had ended. Yeah. And when it came time to revisit it, he has said that back then, even though he's so grateful for the experience now, he didn't want to be known as just Agent Cooper forever. He did. Yeah, he didn't and want the so, like William Shatner. Thing with like exactly yeah. so he said well look i'll be a part of the movie but only for i think they had him for three or four days sure. or something like that yeah. so they they wrote the movie around that and i'm sure we'll get to talk about um, yeah what their plans for were for movies beyond but um i i felt watching last night like that even they were torn between wanting to tell one kind of story and then set up the next bunch of stories they would have liked to tell but couldn't this time. Yeah, know? because and then yeah. they never got to because no one no exactly. one came to see this movie. Exactly. So by the way, so this came out in 92 uh, and it only ran for six weeks, um, which actually I think is that's kind of good for a flop, right? Six weeks, isn't it? That's like longer than most yeah. flops run. But maybe that was because it was like 92 and they gave movies a little bit longer. But they made it for $10 million. It only made four back domestic. So it was considered a you know bomb. Um, but do you guys, right, guys want to guess what its score is on Rotten Tomatoes? Is the high score the better? Yes. I'm going to guess 37. John? Well... Yeah, I'll guess, yeah, something around there, 37. It is certified fresh at 61. <laughs> so here's, here's, why I, here's why I paused. Because back then, the critics eviscerated this thing. Yes, they yes, yes. hated it. They were so angry that it didn't feel like the Twin Peaks television show. Yeah. And it didn't answer the questions. And so they hated it. But over time, totally, it has become this, like revered gem yeah um if you can believe it does i don't actually (laughs) know i don't i don't know what like the dates for the cutoff were for that like yeah if they had had rotten tomatoes in 92 it probably would have been like three percent but as it stands right now it's actually 60 i was shocked to see that because dallas i just want you to know you're not like alone you're in good company most critics hated it most fans hated it um, it was at Cannes Film Festival, and it was booed. It was booed. Like, they were booed the move. People walked really? out. Yeah. Lynch had won, was it the year before, had won like, the best picture for Wild at Heart? So like, it was yes. like, hey, yeah. I, hey, I'm back, and everyone hates me. Um, <laughs> so I just want to say, before we get into this, Dallas, I knew that you, like especially you watching it literally the minute before we start doing this, was going to be problematic because, again, with as with the finale, and I'm not guessing since we talked last, that's changed for you. It's something that kind of needs to sit with you for a little bit. It's 
You know, it's David really, Lynch. It's, I, it's not instant art. It doesn't tell you how to feel exactly. You have to bring a lot to the table to have it be an experience. And it's hard on the first watch to really appreciate it. So, mm-hmm. um, well, here's, the, here's my reply to that. One, if it's going to sit with me, it's going to sit with me like old cheese. And two, you love old you're cheese. Saying on the first, you're saying on the first watch, like there'll be another one. <laughs> <laughs> and from there... From there, let's just go right into this. The other two things right. I was going to note yeah. that the guy who shot this shot the pilot, Ron Garcia. Dallas doesn't care about it. Did he else. also shoot JFK? Because <laughs> that's how much he's done wrong. Okay. And the same guy, <laughs> Angelo uh, Badalamente, did the music. I actually love the music. The music enough. is so good. So we might as well start there because it opens with the theme song. And it's like, I was curious, John, what's your favorite piece of Twin Peaks music? Because I think this might be this might be mine, the theme song to the theme song. To I mean, the, a- of piece. all of it or in yeah, this movie? Yeah, no, of everything. Oh, God, that's impossible. Uh, I mean, I would probably say the the main theme, yeah. but yeah. Uh, in this movie, there's some great pieces. Um, there's one called, like, Best Friends or something yeah. that I love. Um, the the Pine Float okay. is a great one. Yeah. Um, and Moving Time. I, I just know these names, and I know yeah. they're good stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see yeah. This anyway, is, the soundtrack to this is is almost just yeah. worth getting because it has sycamore trees on it from the finale, yes. which is that yes, might be exactly. my favorite my favorite piece of music in the whole Twin Peaks universe. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so are you, are you not going to ask me that question? I don't I care question? at this point. You and you know now, Dallas. What is your favorite? Is it? It's James's biker theme song still. No, I think my favorite piece of. Angelo Badalamente music was uh, one of the episodes he did for uh, Psych. <laughs> that show Psych. Mm-hmm. He did a great. Which he wh- did a great theme. For, what was it for Psych? Yeah, for Psych. <laughs> was it the Twin Peaks episode of Psych? No, it was the um, uh, the episode <laughs> where Dule Hill he plays uh, Burton Guster. Yeah, I, I, the only episode of Psych that I've seen <laughs> is the one where they brought all the Twin Peaks people yes. on and like did yes. a, an I'm homage sure to Twin episode. Peaks. I'm sure that's the episode on Angelo Badalamente did music for. I am in the <clears throat> I'm in the same boat. He didn't do any music for that show, did he? <laughs> I know. I think it was for that when they got the Twin Peaks cast on Psych. Do you know that he did? He did the music for Christmas Vacation. He's the guy who did like the soundtrack yes. to that. Yes. That awesome. It's amazing. Makes me so happy. This old house. <laughs> I don't think he wrote that song, but he did all oh, like, he the score. He definitely wrote that song. <laughs> he wrote, he, he wrote, hey Santa Claus, hey Santa Claus, hey Santa Claus, Santa Claus, Santa. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's Bingo. the music. That's the music that the street band is playing when he goes into the store with Rusty to buy. Yeah. Anyway, um, I don't know what you're explaining. I think we, we, should, we should bring up. We should bring up when Bobby is walking backwards at the school. That's like my favorite part of the movie. That was the only part of the movie <laughs> that I was so. Oh, wait, wait, wait! You guys are skipping ahead. You guys are skipping I'm ahead. ahead but just, let's go back to that when we get there. Yes, I have it in the notes. We're gonna okay. kind of try to move through this. Just in a go se- quick. Sequential Chris order. Isaac's in the movie. Wow! Surprise! Stop! 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 I, some people, Sutherland shows up. You know what? This isn't just you and me. And sometimes they made John too. We have other. We have other people listening who care about these things. So I'm doing they this do for not. them as well. 
Okay. Well, Dad, not, let me let me say a positive thing to kick us off. Not just so, mis- you, Mister Poopy Pants. <laughs> As somebody who is in your place, uh, over time, what I felt like is that the first thirty-five minutes of the movie, where nobody from Twin Peaks is in it except when they go to the FBI agency, um, it feels the most like Twin Peaks, um, and. Uh, my wife Julie was watching it last night and she's like, I love this part. This feels like Twin Peaks. And I was like, yeah, maybe that's why I'm laughing so hard. So I feel like the first, the first 35 minutes, even though it doesn't have any of the characters we know, it plays like a Twin Peaks episode. It has all of the, like the comedy and the kind of like, ha ha and the weird characters. But it's, that wor- are there it's worth kind of it. noting that it's like the flip side, like, it, yes. it is. It's like a, it's like a crappy Twin Peaks. Like <laughs> yes. Yeah. So like <laughs> yeah, let's really go. Is. Let's just go through this. So I think it's interesting to note that the first shot we see is of a television and then an axe destroying it because it's kind of symbolic that David Lynch. This is how he yeah. chooses to start the movie is with you know we we've known it's very famous the stories of him dealing with ABC and the first thing that we we see is a TV being smashed. Um, literally and perhaps metaphorically, we're not going to get Twin Peaks, the TV show, uh, and we don't. So, um, but the first thing we're seeing is Teresa Banks's murder. We don't actually see that, but this is where the, the setting is. Um, and then the first actual person we hear from is David Lynch, which you're right. I love that if he's the only person, right, that we see in the beginning that we've seen before mm-hmm. is, is Gordon Cole, right? Mm-hmm. So, what you were talking about earlier, uh, they wrote this for Cooper. It was going to be Cooper and Sam Stanley. Um, and like you said, McLaughlin backed out. And it, so, they had to kind of figure out what they were going to do. So, they created this other character. And, like, Chris Isaac's pretty good, right, John? Do you think, like, like I, I like him I as the character. His, yeah, I think his, um, <clears throat> excuse me. I think his dryness uh, makes all the other stuff around him work. You know, sure. in a way, he's the Han Solo. You know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. so you can have all those weird people around him, and he's so deadpan. Yeah, uh, yeah. Way that makes me laugh more and more each time. But um, it's it's funny yeah, to think that great. they wrote his dialogue for Cooper because it's like it, he's kind of like a jerk too. You know, it's not very Agent yeah. Dale Cooper, but. I, I don't know. People have said that it's like it was very similar, but maybe they changed it. I think they had to kind of, like you said, they had to kind of deal with Kyle McLaughlin just saying, I don't want to be a part of this. And, you know, I think for, I, I don't know, as, as, a, as a viewer and as a fan of the show, I like kind of the kind of the negative image of Twin Peaks that we get. So, like, it starts out there... Um, it's worth mentioning that I love the scene where he calls trying to find him and they're in just like this, they're in like a field and there's a school bus and there's children just what? screaming. What is happening here? <laughs> there's like prostitutes maybe. And yeah. the, the, the driver, bus driver of the is school being, bus is yeah. getting, is big trouble, but like, for what? <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know. I you still can... don't know after all this Yeah, that time. was really, that was funny. I laughed a lot at that. <laughs> I feel like they, I feel like no matter what, the two of them, Angles and Lynch, had a lot of fun writing this. Because there's mm-hmm. some pretty funny moments, and this is one where they're like, 
what's the weirdest scenario we can start out like yeah yeah school children screaming okay yeah okay and there's prostitutes like what like did they pull these out of a hat um but it is a really I feel funny like it way. was like the beginning of a police squad or something <laughs> <laughs> totally <laughs> but much more beautifully shot like this scene is shot like the the amber tones that yeah. they the, like the sunset tones that they put in this scene um this whole movie is shot so beautifully, but it's it's funny when it's up against an image that weird. Yeah. Well, hopefully in season three we'll find out what was happening with the school bus. Um, so so he was calling to get trying trying to find uh, Agent Desmond who flies to see Gordon Cole and he meets Sam Stanley, played by the wonderful Kiefer Sutherland. Um, and so this is that scene with Lil. Um, curious, Dallas, what you thought about the scene with Lil and Gordon Cole's code, and if you're even still listening to me at this point, if you've hung up, just keep just keep going. <laughs> you well, know I'll exactly how I felt. You know exactly how I felt. I'll chime in here. I'll okay, say the please. first time I was like, <clears throat> I was like, what? What is that? What is that? I don't. I'm frustrated. I don't understand this. But now all I want is a show called Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks Blue Rose and like Lil is in every episode at the beginning to like do some weird pantomime with And they have, to, they have to figure out what it is. That's the whole goal. Yeah. If anything, yeah. that should be a kid's show like Blue's Clues. Lil, Lil's Code. Lil's Cole, code. Cole's, Cole's Code. Oh yeah, my, Where, kids, uh, my kids love Cole's Code. Code. It comes after Bubble Guppies. Um... Okay, well, we don't. I won't like pick apart all of this, but the the whole point is to say, it's kind of obnoxious that he just doesn't tell them all these things. But it's a way of giving them all this information. Um, it's it's a very Lynchian moment, literally. And as the, he's in the film at this point, this is his code. Dude, it's so Lynch. It makes me want to throw the TV into the trash. <laughs> well, what did you think you were gonna get? No, it's like listen. There are times when you're watching something and you're like, D- really, do you have to be that yourself? Can't you just take a break from being so obnoxiously you to just serve others for once? Like, like, like who, who do you feel that way about? David Lynch in this movie. And who else? David Lynch, well, the did, last two episodes of season two. What did you think he was going to do? Like, he was going to make, like, you know... Like Major League well, Three, I'm, like what was he gonna do? <laughs> <laughs> On the flip side, I think also they needed to, you know, they needed to go look. We're we're bringing this to the theaters. What are we bringing that's new? Sure, it's not just another episode of the show. <laughs> um, so we well, can't just like go episode thirty-one and now here's yeah. the what show. Do, it's what wise. are we gonna bring to cinema that's new? I know <laughs> pantomime. <laughs> I th- I I also think. But I, I, go ahead, John. No, I, I mean, I've said it before. I, I, I love these guys. I love the um, I love the Lil, even though, again, this is all coming from a place where I was perplexed by it the first time. But um, I love all of their kind of like FBI, like 1958 lingo, where yeah. they're like, give them the glad hand. Yes, yes, know? yes, yes. <laughs> What's his I name? Do. Oh, you know. It's funny. I, I, I think it, that yeah. kind of like. J. Edgar Hoover, FBI, old sure. school, uh, 
stuff. And so uh, now that I, now that my expectations are not something else, I enjoy just the rhythm of that. Sure. So Dallas, anyway. next time you watch it, you'll pick that up. Um, yeah. I think it's also, I think it's also important to, before we get too far into this, that like, I've always seen this film as kind of David Lynch's kind of reaction towards where things went in season two, that he was like, I'm going to show you what this was actually supposed to be. And he might've gone a little far in that. And like, he was really trying to inject the kind of strangeness and the mystery to something that the mystery was sucked out of. Um, so it's, it's extreme in parts. And Lil is one of those where you're like, I, what is happening here? It's a new but, mystery. Um, you know, he, we we're we're two minutes in, and we've got a new mystery. Like, I feel like what that's is the blue rose? that's All what this, he's you know. trying to manufacture again in this world is mystery, which we had kind of lost. Um, so going back to whole, how this is kind of the flip side, they the first place they stop is the sheriff station, um, which of course it's instead of Lucy, you have the like kind of a holes, uh, you know, secretary who's. They're, it's pretty funny the way they're laughing at, at Desmond when he's asking for stuff. They're like, you know, snickering like they're high. Um, and he's not having any of it. Finally, he goes in there to see the <clears throat> the sheriff, who again is, this is not Harry Truman. This is Sheriff Cable, and he's a jerk. Um, you know, doesn't want to help. And uh, I love the picture on the wall. Cable Ben Steele. Cable Ben Steele. <laughs> yeah, there's a, like a little newspaper clipping of him just bending rebar. <laughs> Um, but he finally does give him, you know, the files and stuff. But again, this is not Twin Peaks Sheriff Station. This is something else. It's it's kind of, uh, like I said, it's they're not helpful. They don't want to help. Um, it's very different. So even like John, like you said, like oh, this is like Twin Peaks, but it's still, in terms of the kind of the places we go and the format of it, it is. But everyone is so different. Um, yeah, I just meant the the sort of the humor and the sensibility, sure. but <laughs> sure. but yeah. yeah, I mean, even I think it was in the early Twin Peaks episodes that that Agent Cooper said to Sheriff Truman, you know, a lot of times there's a lot of friction between sure. <clears throat> when That's the true. feds come in. So here yeah. we're literally just seeing that play out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Twin Peaks could be the like exception to the rule as far as how this normally would have gone down in this part of yeah. Washington State. Um, Dallas, I'm not gonna like, I'm not gonna just go through drag you over the coals with all the details. But they're there to investigate Teresa's murder. Um, so the scene at the morgue is rough for me because I hate morgue scenes, and this one's really bad. It's really creepy. Uh, I the watched this. Oh, the fingernails brutal. being ripped off and stuff. Um, uh, yeah, that was gnarly. I watched this, by the way, with earbuds in a hotel room while my kids were asleep, so they didn't see it, but watching this with earbuds it's like gnarly and i john i know we've talked about this like lynch actually sent out letters to the theaters when they showed this asking them to bump yeah. the sound up by two decibels that yeah. is dallas that's the director of this film that's who you're dealing with here um <laughs> yeah it's intense the sound is really crazy and if you haven't ever watched it with like it, it, either headphones or earbuds it's it's kind of worth doing because it's really really crazy the sounds the details the sound but this scene's very unnerving for me um but we find uh they find the letter t under the nail which uh we we know uh, you know part of this is maybe frustrating because you know so much of it to dallas like you know what's gonna happen you know and you just kind of have to watch it like i feel that way like i still have my problems with this movie too 
but yeah, I that 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 wasn't it, but. <laughs> <laughs> keep, keep going the next uh, the next scene is haps which is like as far away from the double r as you can get there's <laughs> there's no there's no heidi there's no toad there is this old guy named jack who's for some reason it seems like they're trying to break into a safe in in the diner um there's irene who is like the complete opposite of norma She's really I, unfriendly. I love the guy who plays Hap, the old guy, and that's one of the cool missing pieces. Things is just that scene is longer. I have and to watch it for that. Well, you know, it's clear, funny. Uh, he's one of those guys who's like not an actor, but David Lynch like clued into him. So when yeah. he's just like, Irene is her name, and it is night. Don't go any further. With it. <laughs> so it's a, it's a good, it's like a really, the worst good night Irene joke ever. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> But it's anyway. it's a funny scene that there's like um there's like the anti Pete is at the end of the bar, like asking about are you talking about Teresa Banks? Are you talking about that little girl? And they've also people have said that like the woman next to him is supposed to be kinda like Josie. So it's like the anti Josie and Pete, which I think is interesting. Um I swear they used the same take of that guy saying, Is that that little girl? It's Did like you- dead on. <laughs> Like it's the same exactly both times. Anyway. Dallas, what do you think? Do you think it's the same both times? Same. <laughs> um, the other things worth just mentioning in the scene is that um, Desmond's a total jerk, but I love the move where he gets Sam to spill coffee on himself by asking him what time it is. <clears throat> okay, and we're back. Sorry, my computer stopped. For once, it wasn't one of our children. Um, <laughs> she talks about her, how her arm went completely dead, uh, which we remember something about Laura and her arms from the show. So they move on to um, where Teresa lived, which was the Fat Trout trailer park. Uh, and we get to see Harry Dean Stanton, who plays Carl Rod, who's one of my favorite characters in this movie. Um, and so he takes him to see Teresa's trailer. Um, when they're there, they see, there was mentioning, they mentioned the morgue that she's had like a spot where a ring would have been. And, um, so they're looking for the ring, but they see in the photo in her trailer that she's got the ring, she's wearing it. And, um, there's a really creepy moment where this, woman who's got like an ice pack over her eye kind of comes in when they're in her trailer and they ask her if she knew Teresa Teresa Banks and she just kind of like is shaking and then walks off um and that's that's right after is that right after her is that after right after or right before his big speech about like I've been places it's right before and it's like whatever she brings to the room he like it goes into this kind of trance and starts talking about that yeah um it's really disturbing and i feel like this is like the kind of stuff we're gonna get in season three a lot just like these like what is happening because it's i never understood it but yeah it was like there's the one two three of that moment where you get you get these weird zoom ins on the electrical lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, especially that <clears throat> that like number six and whatever the number is over it. Yes. You get that 
little like whoop, 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 kind of noise that we'll talk about later. Sure. And then, and then that woman appears, and then his eyes sort of like glass over almost with tears. Yes. Uh, and then he confesses, you know, I just want to stay here. I've already seen the world. Just kind um, of out of nowhere. It's really. It's so weird, but every time I see it, it gets, it like affects me more for some sure. Sure. Strange reason. <clears throat> love him or and hate him. The, uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I was just gonna say that I still to this day talk about the like the coffee. You know how he's so excited about his coffee, and he's like, <laughs> it's got the sting of the forty-eight hour blend. <laughs> he says, "Cup of Good Morning America." Is that what he calls good it? Good Morning America. <clears throat> yeah. I I always feel like I think one of the reasons I love like Lynch films is that you're never safe. Like, especially when you're watching it for the first time, like he will out of nowhere create this tension. Like he does in this, it just kind of comes out of nowhere. And all of a sudden you're like, what is happening? Um, Like it doesn't even build up to it. It's just all of a sudden you cut to that shot of what seems to be like her walking up to the trailer. Um, Anyway, but yeah, something's happened with Carl. We don't know exactly. It doesn't go too far into it, but um and do you think that it was a mistake when Kiefer Sutherland says, uh, "We sure did. We sure did need a good wake me up, didn't we?" No, it's it. it that's it actually that's in the script. In the where script? he yeah, it's just part of Desmond being a total it's jerk. So real, <laughs> but I mean the way the way he plays it, the way uh, Chris Isaac plays it, it looks like it was a mistake, and they just like went. Like, I know. Anyway, that's great. Someone wrote one of the like a review wrote you know of the. Of the sh- of the movie, you have the people in it. You have you know a musician, the guy who directed it, you know a woman who just played a corpse, and he's like, it's no surprise that the best performance goes to the actual actor when he's talking about <laughs> Kiefer Sutherland, <laughs> <laughs> which I think is funny, and I, I do think Kiefer is great as this this yeah, character. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so. The I, one of my favorite lines in this when they go back to the sheriff station to take the body and Sheriff Cable doesn't want to give him the body. He goes, um, "There, you know, he's asking about the ring still because they've seen the ring in the photo, and he gives him that response about we got a phone here, it's got a little ring." Um, <laughs> Dallas, I know you had to at least somewhat crack a smile for that one. Dallas, are you still here? What's up? Hey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, he said the coffee line twice. <laughs> so, uh, Stanley... Dallas uh, is feeling all the feels that I yeah, felt. So, yeah. Dallas, I understand all this. At this point, I'll just, I'd like to take a moment and just say, um, hey, John, I'm glad you're here. So, uh, <laughs> Desmond goes back to... Desmond Doesn't Sims, hurt my feelings. Does De- not hurt my feelings. I, it's not supposed to. Um <laughs> So Sam Sam takes the body to Portland to have it examined because he's he wants to check out the arm for the nerve damage. So they take the body. Um, this is when Desmond goes back to the trout fat trout trailer park to you know try to investigate, try to find the ring. We see the the numbers on the pole. I think the numbers is it's six, and then is it two four? I read some some article about what it could mean. And I'll just say this right now. People have just gone out of their minds trying to make sense of this movie. And I think sometimes to a fault, we're like, they spent way more time researching and like coming up with theories than David Lynch ever did writing this. 
I really mm-hmm. think you yeah, that's can a, make... That's very clear. That's very clear. I think you can make yourself sick. You can make yourself silly trying to come up with answers to this. I'm just going to come <clears> out from my where I sit with this movie. Some of this stuff just isn't supposed to make sense. Um, I think he just throws some stuff at us for us to kind of talk about it 25 years later on podcasts. Like, that's just kind of how it is. I think some some of the stuff he maybe has a vague idea of what it is. I don't know what the numbers mean, John. Maybe you do, but... No, no. And I feel like, um, honestly, because I know a lot of it comes from his gut, I usually just assume, assume excuse me, that um, it, if you have a reaction from your gut, that's probably better than the reaction that you have when you spent, like, a night and a day concocting... <clears throat> sure an elaborate theme about it i don't think that's how he works because i think a lot of times it's all just like spur of the moment anyway yeah so um yeah anyway so he sees um this trailer that's empty but it's like really really brightly lit up from the inside um and under the trailer we see this mound of dirt we finally see the ring that he's been searching for he goes to grab it we don't see him disappear the movie just cuts um, and we later are told he's disappeared. So it's kind of a weird moment because we don't actually see him like vanish. We just cut to the next scene. Um, and the next scene is quite a scene. Dallas, would you agree? What's the uh, next scene? I really <laughs> don't remember. David Bowie. <clears throat> David Bowie. Oh, Jesus. I'm getting a beer. <laughs> just talk. I'm going to get a beer. <laughs> This <laughs> earlier today, I texted Dallas. I'm like, "So how's it going?" He's like, 35 minutes in," and then he wrote, "Oh my god!" And I think it might have been during the scene. Um, yeah, I, I looked. I was checking the time because I always thought, "Oh, I think it's about 40 minutes before they go back to Twin Peaks." Yeah, <clears throat> and uh, I think it's 35 minutes in when they uh, when they go back to uh, Twin Peaks. So, yeah, the. The David Bowie is like about 25 minutes in. I yeah, think. yeah. So, um, but what we did last night was because since Dallas is not here, is is watch that scene and then go watch the the missing pieces where you just extended. get to see a bigger version of it. Sure. You know, so yeah. it makes a more sense, even though it's a little less finessed. For those of you who maybe don't know, um, <laughs> this movie was uh, I think the script was like a five hour movie, which they shot. Yeah. They didn't shoot all of it, but they cut a ton of it. Uh, and it finally came to light, I guess, what, three or three years ago? Um, they put out a, a, when they put it out on Blu-ray, they put out a, a feature called The Missing Pieces, and it's all of the deleted scenes that they shot. Um, and people were, Twin Peaks fans for years were like literally petitioning for these to be released and they never were because there was problems with who owned the film, but these finally came out. And while I think it's cool to watch if you're a fan, you know, John and I, we were talking about this earlier. It's just not like the answers aren't there. It's not like they reveal (laughs) all of the, you know, it's almost like there's even more questions, but it is worth noting that I think the best part of that, the best missing scene as an extended version of this next scene we're going to talk about, which is the Philip Jeffries scene uh, in the FBI office in Philadelphia. So, um, so we see Cooper, which is great because we've, like you said, you've been waiting for him the whole movie. Where is he? Here he mm-hmm. is. Um, reading the script for this, there's actually kind of a really funny, what could have been a really funny moment. So he comes up to him and he says, 
Gordon, it's 1010 on February 15th. And in the script, I think in the movie, he just is kind of like staring at him. <laughs> in the script, he goes, so? And he goes, I was worried about today from the dream I told you about. And then Gordon Cole goes, right. Good work. Because <laughs> he doesn't know what to say. <laughs> I, Which, I wish they would have shot that. It would have been so funny. But it it kind of adds to the eeriness of it that, that David right. Lynch is just like staring at him while he's talking. Um the way this is cut in the film, I like always wondered if when he's talking to him and then the next time we see him when he's like goes straight to the hallway, if this was actually Cooper's dream. Um, you know what I mean? Because it's like I was worried about the dream I told you about. And then the next thing we see is not Cooper getting up from that chair to go into the hallway. It's just like him in the hallway. Um, right. According to the script, though, he actually like it's he gets up. So we're just... He tells Gordon these things I was worried about today because of the dream I had. And then he just literally starts going back and forth from the camera in the hallway to the security monitors. And he does this three times before we see him go back. I think right before he goes back, we see the elevator door open. <clears throat> and this really kind of cool shot of David Bowie walking out um, from the elevator. And that's when Cooper goes back into the security camera room and sees that he's staring back into the camera still, even though he's in the room, and then David Bowie walks into the office around him. Um, this is when it gets kind of weird. Because um, <laughs> up until then, it was normal. So, we can... I don't have to, We don't have to go th into all of this, but I think worth mentioning is Phil Jeffries has been missing for a couple of years. Um, Gordon Cole introduces, you know... Uh, Cooper to him as the long lost Philip Jeffries. And instead of like Philip Jeffries going, Hey, I'm back. He just starts talking about something else. Like he's like, they were in the middle of this conversation <clears throat> and he's, he says, I'm not going to talk about Judy. We're going to leave her out of this. Judy is one of those things in this movie that people have been trying to figure out for a quarter of a century. No one knows who she is really. Uh, it's one of the things that frustrates me about this movie because I feel like it was just one of those things they threw in there to, to make us talk and research and go crazy and scratch our heads forever. Yeah, why, why bring it up if you're not going to, yeah, it, it, totally. It, 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 it's, it's frustrating. Um, but what's not frustrating is the rest of this scene is Jeffrey's talking about this meeting of some of these characters that we've seen from the show um, above a convenience store, which we were told about in Cooper's Dream, which was the second episode of season one. Um, so we see what is the the place they all were above a convenience store. He says we lived above a convenience store. Um, what's odd, though, is Mike is not there, even though he's the one who told us about it. But we do have Bob. We have the little man. We see the grandmother, Mrs. Tremont, and her grandson, and then we see a few mm -hmm. new people we haven't seen before. So there's two, they're called woodsmen. There's a guy who they called the electrician. And then there's a guy they called the jumping man, who is literally doing that the whole time. Um, they're having this meeting. There's a bunch of lines about, um, you know, cream corn and a formica table. And Jeffrey says, we live inside a dream. The little man has the ring, and he says, with this ring, I be wed. There's a mouth saying electricity. The little kid has the mask. He takes it off, and there's a monkey face underneath it. 
And then all of a sudden, um, Agent Jeffries disappears from the office at, at the FBI headquarters in Philadelphia. And at the same time, now they is, get a phone call that Chet Desmond has also disappeared. So Dallas, I, I, want you to go, I want you to go ahead and tell me, Dallas, what you're feeling. Like, let's do a little word association. So sure. I say woodsman. What do you think? What are you feeling? Um, <clears throat> woodsman. Uh, <laughs> modern woodsman, health insurance. <laughs> this, is what, this is one of those scenes where it's just like people have written like college theses about it. It's so what is happening here. Bob is in the scene. So that's who's sitting sitting at the table um, in the front. Now, does, can you guys hear me, by the way? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Sorry. I said something earlier, and I wasn't sure if you, oh. if you could hear me. So so the little boy, when he says fell a victim, yes. he, he refers to Bob, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. That occurred to me last night. Um, <laughs> yeah. What does that mean? Um, I, I like... Well, the, I mean, because of Teresa Banks, maybe. Um, I... I also know, like, something else that occurred to me last night is that you have all these guys sitting around, and it's so weird because we've we've heard about like, oh, these people from another place, they are in this magical or other dimensional place above a convenience store, possibly. But it, look, it basically looks like a crack den. Yeah, yeah. And and like, they're talking about the Garmin Bosia, like maybe that's. Does that have something to do with it, considering some of the things that happen in well, the rest of the movie? Like, is this a movie about, do those people have some kind of, like, need for that Garmin Bosia? Anyway, yeah, I'm getting yes. ahead of myself. No, 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 you're not, you're not. Springing up. <clears throat> so, my so, questions about um, this scene are, I think my main question is, when is that? So, so we when we first hear about this place... Mike tells Cooper in a dream. So, you know, when when is this taking place that we're seeing this? Because, you know, if this is before, then, you know, where's Mike? Like, where's the giant? Are these all the people who are bad and are living off the pain and sorrow of human beings? Or I, I guess it's just, it's confusing to me because and then one thing that Jeffrey says that's worth noting is he says I followed them and when he says that you see Mike and the little man like go into the red room. So is that oh, where yeah. Jeffrey's followed them to? Like can you get there from that place, the room that, that they're all staying in? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> um the one thing that's worth that I've always kind of been interested in is like who is the little kid? Um cuz some people say I've heard it said that he's like he's the magician in the poem because he's all, he's doing magic all the time, and especially with him wearing the mask, where they say the magician longs to see. Um, but yeah, there's I'm, there's a million questions. Another theory I've heard is that the the one woodsman um, who's like slapping his knee is the log lady's husband, um, who we know like died in a fire and is connected somehow to these people in a certain way remember she brings the oil at the end of the season two um that he had he had brought so i'm curious to see if that's if that's true i don't know if we're going to find out any of this stuff in season three 
But. Is so that and by the way, this is a little obscure, but that actor who yeah, yeah, plays yeah. the guy who slaps his knee is Jurgen Prock. Now I don't know if that's it, how you say his name, but he's he's like a German actor. He was in Das Boot. Yes, um, yes. he's he's been in a bunch of other stuff. I was about to look him up to to find out, but it's kind of like getting um, I don't know who's the guy who's the guy who was in Rogue One. He was also Hannibal Lecter. It's kind of like getting th- that guy. Imagine Anthony uh, Hopkins. <laughs> but I mean, okay, fine. It's like getting Germany's Anthony Hopkins to like sure. be the random e slapper. He doesn't even. Oh, he has like one line, yeah. right? Some, some. I forget yeah. what he says, but yeah. So anyway, anyway, the the whole thing behind this is Philip Jeffries is missing. Shows up, um, and then is telling them about this place he's been because he's been missing and then all of a sudden he's gone um one thing i thought about that i I hadn't really before was i wonder if something about chet finding the ring kind of made this happen because i think it's worth noting that like the moment they they're trying to find philip see if he was there and they say he was never there is they get a phone call that chet desmond has been missing so, mm-hmm. you know, I know that wouldn't work exactly time-wise because it would be like Chet would have to get the ring and then instantly he would show up. He would have been missing for a while for them to call them. But I always thought, I, I was just thinking, like, maybe that has something to do with it. Like, he, him, you know, getting the ring had something to do with, you know, Agent Jeffries showing back up. But sadly, uh, I was, I've read somewhere they had planned for Bowie to come back and be a part of season three, and we lost him last year which is a drag on so many levels. Um, so unfortunately, I don't think we're going to get any more Agent Jeffries, but he's amazing. Is this, is, this, is this one of the moments? So this is one of two moments for me to talk about these deleted scenes. Sure, yeah. Just that, um, that Dallas, they had filmed these scenes where you see David Bowie in a hotel. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In Buenos Aires. <laughs> And it's uh-huh. a, an elaborate sequence of like a hotel in Buenos Aires. There's like, you know, Buenos Aires musicians and dancers walking around, and and David Bowie walks in and asks for his room number, and then he's, "What is my room number?" <laughs> he goes to go. Nobody's got that like Texas accent or whatever he has. Like, what's my room number? <laughs> so then he goes. That, that is. 8,000 times better than what he did. (laughs) Go ahead. So then he goes to go there, and then he disappears, and then we switch to the Cooper scene. Um, The other thing that they do in these missing pieces is instead of juxtaposing the scenes of the weird people in the room of the convenience store and him talking, they just show him sitting at the table at... um, at uh, Gordon Cole's desk and saying, this is what happened to me. I saw these people. um, I followed them. They were doing all this stuff. And then um, one of the things that I thought was interesting that he says is, uh, well, basically all the lights are flickering. And so everybody's trying to figure out what's going on. And Gordon Cole says, mayday, mayday. And he goes, may. And David Bowie looks at the calendar and he goes, 
what? It's it's February 1989. Like he can't believe that that much time has passed since he's left. And then Gordon Cole, it cuts to a shot of Gordon Cole where he says, "What am I all by myself here? Come on, I." And then he turns and he looks over, and David Bowie is gone. So like instead of as it is in the movie where they just say, "Oh, he's gone, he's gone," like he vanished um, in front of them. They, kind of they actually shows. show him vanish front of them basically hmm. and um uh and then they cut to another scene in the buenos aires hotel and you're assuming it's two years earlier or however long he's been missing <laughs> and he like appears with scorch marks around him in this hotel and like because he's in buenos aires they have these weird bellboys who are like oh Mr. Jeffries, <laughs> I am so scared. I've shit my pants. <laughs> like the guy's holding his pants, like he crapped himself. And then David Bowie's like, ah! And then that's the whole scene. <laughs> so it's so strange. But at least it gives you a little bit more of the scope that um, the movie as it was released did. Um, there's this no, like I'm... world of the FBI and these weird cases that it has yet to be explored. And, um, you know, to put a lid on it for me, ultimately, like I would love season three to explore all this stuff. Like when they said they were coming back, I'm like, Oh man, if they could just like talk about the blue roses yeah, and <clears throat> Philip Jeff, this was before David Bowie had passed on, um, and Chris Isaac and all those guys. Like I would, you know. Anyway, so I, I have my fingers crossed. We'll see. Um, you know, one thing that's worth I think noting is when he checks into the hotel. I feel like I want to say that they say we have a letter for you from a Miss Judy. So yes, they. Yeah. Like one thing people say is that Ju- like Laura is Judy. Like that's what she's supposed to represent. But also I've heard interviews where. No, she was actually a character. I've heard that she was like Josie's sister, which would make kind of sense in that he talks about, I found something at Judy's in Seattle. Um, but they decided to just keep it a thing where it's a mystery. And But the mm-hmm. but the things surrounding it that could have been true are like, uh, what, Josie had a sister? And like, she's a part of this movie? And I don't it doesn't know. Make sense. It doesn't don't make know, sense. Yeah. But so let's, let's move on. So um, yeah. Cooper goes to Deer Meadow after this to investigate um, what happened to Agent Desmond. And he uh, he has the moment where they find... He, he goes to where Cooper... Um, not Cooper goes to where Desmond disappeared. But there's, a, there's nothing there. There's no trailer there anymore. And he asks about who had a trailer here. Carl Rod says the Chalfonts did. And yeah, he kind of... It strikes, strikes him that the person before the the Chalfonts were also called the Chalfonts, that there were two different, you know, families named that who had lived there consecutively. And that's when Cooper looks over and sees on uh, Chet Desmond's car written in lipstick is Let's Rock, which was the first thing the little man says to Agent Cooper in his dream in, in that episode we've, you know, we remember from season one. So obviously whatever happened to Chet Desmond has something to do with the characters, the people from the red room, um, but as is of right this now, is this the time to talk? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Is this is this the time to talk about the Tremont Chalfont thing? 
Sure. Yeah. Um, so when you meet the old lady and her son later in the movie, they don't say what their names are. But if you look in the credits, their names are Mrs. Chalfont and like her son or something. Sure. And and in the show, their names were Tremond. Yes. So that, I mean, I don't know what. I don't yeah, know why, I don't. That, I don't. That's another one of those things like, where it's like, what was the point? Like, what is yeah, that? Well, is is like, you know, is there a bad Mrs. A Tremond and a good like? You know what I mean? Like, are they? I, there's a lot of duality in the show. So is one of them good and the other one's bad? Do we know? I don't know. Will we ever know? I don't know. She was the grandmother in Happy Gilmore. What are you gonna do? She was great. <laughs> Rest in peace. Yeah. She used to come to SeaWorld all the time. I remember. I saw her. Um, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I think she lived in San Diego. I don't remember her name. Did you give her a, a nice warm glass of shut the hell up? <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> I said, I will put you to sleep. Um, okay, so one year later. Oh, so this ends with Cooper talking to Diane about the killer's going to strike again. And yes, he will, because here we go. We're in Twin Peaks. Laura Palmer, she's alive. She's walking. Um and I wrote, man, Laura's death uh, really changed Donna. <laughs> okay, so... Um, <laughs> Wait, I have one question before we go on. Yes. Just one last thing. Dallas, did you have any happy buttons pressed when Agent <laughs> Cooper showed up? <laughs> I love the way you phrased that, John. Happy buttons. When, when Agent Cooper showed up? Like, when Agent Cooper finally was part of this movie, I mean, when he finally showed up, I was like, oh, thank God. God, you know, and then like he goes to the trailer park and I'm like, I am annoyed that this is the third time we've gone to this trailer park. But like, at least it's Agent Cooper and like the guy's like, why are you going over there? And he's like, because I'm going over here. Like, I'm like, <laughs> we've got Agent Cooper back. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Did, was there any sort of like light in you or were you just so <laughs> over it at this point? Which I would understand. Um, I just like this was for me. I remember the- that being a glimmer of hope, and then like being you know shoved back down into the coal mine for the rest of the movie. <laughs> this is probably around the point where I texted Sean, "Dear God." <laughs> um, oh, I was pretty. I was con- convinced that was the the David Bowie scene. Well, I mean, the, yeah, probably around that area. So, like, any kind of hope. <clears throat> Enjoy that I had with with uh, Agent Cooper was so quickly erased with that David Bowie nonsense. So your happy your happy buttons were pressed when the when the end credits rolled. Is that what it was? <laughs> no, because I okay. hated those more let's, than anything. Let's keep moving towards it. So, yeah. um, okay. So, I mean, how do you take well, David Bowie and ruin him in well, one scene? Laura Flynn Boyle uh, did I, I not. I want to get to Berg Burger. That's like the accent he was using. Laura Flynn Boyle did not want to. Did he show up? Hey, the hey, first hey! No, you stop know what? It. You stop it. No, you guys we're not going to spend trivia. We're not going to spend this podcast disgracing the name of David Bowie. You'll stop talking oh, ill. Get, I love David Bowie. I feel not like he enough, showed up no. for shooting, and and he said his first line, and then David Lynch was like, "Can you do a Texas accent?" <laughs> and then Bowie went, "No," <laughs> and then he's like, "Do it." <laughs> okay, all right, that's enough, Dallas. That's enough. So Laura Flynn Boyle died. 
Leslie Boyle did not want to make this movie. Do you, can you believe that, Dallas? She did not want to make this movie. Do you think it had to do with um, the nudity? Her dating? Well, no, or dating uh, um, Kyle McLaughlin. Do you think Kyle was like, "You're not. Do- I'm not doing it. You're not doing it." And then at the end, uh, the, the last I mean, that's minute, what I the last I minute, he's how- like, "I'm doing it." <laughs> I'm doing three days of this movie. What are you doing? You know. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I'm actually a big Maura Kelly fan, so I was fine with it. I think she's uh, great. Me too. me too. That's where I sit with this film. So some I'm... some people like want to argue over who's better. I don't like care. It's she's great in this. It's like and it's like old Becky and new Becky. No one cares. Yeah, no one cares. I um, feel like the, the point of Donna when they introduced her and the way they talked about her and wrote her at the beginning of Twin Peaks was like that she was. Miss Goody Two Shoes. Sure. Um, and then they like quickly moved on from that. So um, I feel like she killed Maura- everyone in the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I, I feel like Maura Kelly did such a great job with that. Yes. Yeah, I agree. And uh, I love all the, well, we can get to this, but I sure. love all their dialogue together, the girls. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. All totally. that. Hey yeah. Dallas, did you did you notice that you know that Snake's real his name in the show is Mike, but it's Mike Nelson? Do you think that was a mystery science theater nod from the writers of Twin Peaks? Um, you should never, see the we never the, uh, deleted scenes because there's a lot more Mike in yeah, the deleted you, you scenes. You need more Mike. I, you I was know, hoping you were saying you should see the deleted scenes because uh, Mystery Science Theater comes in. And <laughs> I, make fun of you know, I'm actually yes. I'm shocked. Comes in, Crow-T robot. I'm Show shocked, <laughs> shocked, Dallas. You didn't love this movie because there's no Josie in it. Oh, there's no Josie, but um, but there's even there's much much worse than Josie. Okay, well, I'm excited to hear more about your feelings. So, um, okay. I wrote now we have to deal with James and Laura. Oh, James, <laughs> James. Um, but can I say this? LL Cool J, dude. Ladies love Cool James. Ladies love Cool James. I actually think they use James pretty appropriately in this movie. You think you got just enough James? Just enough James. Wrote in, yeah, showed, he was so, like a showed Laura's boobs, and then wrote off. You know what I mean? So yeah. that was like a, that was like a compliment. You're starting to warm up to this this movie. <laughs> from what I'm getting okay. for where I'm standing. So um, Laura does some coke in the bathroom but we knew this is how she rolled um but for real she does a lot of coke in this movie like yeah so much coke she is like keith richards of twin peaks um <laughs> so she meets james in a towel this is high school is wild man i went to high school i don't remember any of this um yeah and like where do you walk around like, like, where do you walk long distances in your only a towel? I'm guessing he, this is like he's close to the girls, you know, locker room. James, James knew his way around Twin Peaks High School, by the way. <laughs> Come on. Hello, Cool J. So, um, but as much as I, as much as it's, we joke about James, like, I feel like this story kind of explains James in the show in that he really, really loved Laura, and then she died, and then, like, he was just kind of left with Donna. And so, like, it was never really going to work, which is why at the end he's like, I'm just going to go to Mexico now. So, like, you see how much in this movie he really 
wanted to be with her and she was just like it's not gonna happen because i'm gonna die you know so. is this scene down there with them like the worst porno ever where they're like going gobble 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 i'm a turkey yes oh the worst and then they have sex yeah <laughs> it's pretty bad oh um Ugh. yeah Ugh. i'm really hoping season three is just james in mexico he's like <laughs> me amo james um but yeah, turkeys she, are dumbest animal. <laughs> well, gobble, 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 gobble. Pan down. Yeah, hey, we're not on ABC anymore, by the way. Um, Here's the thing, though. I when I listen to the dialogue, I'm like, God, it's so hammy in certain in certain instances for sure. the high schoolers. But I was like, if these people weren't 32 playing high schoolers, like <clears throat> maybe I would buy more yeah um i do think it suffers from the like you know late 80s early 90s like i'm 34 and i'm sure. a senior in high school yeah. kind of thing going on anyway move the, on. um the next thing we see is uh is this is the bobby walking backwards so bobby yes. is the uh, playing the jealous boyfriend wants to know where she was we know where she was she was gobble 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 um so <laughs> they were trying to kind of recreate that scenery walks backwards i think in the pilot you know into the principal's office and uh the whole the whole piece of music there with just angelo rapping <laughs> is really great it's a it's a cool little moment in this movie um yeah but yeah uh, it was my favorite part of the movie did you really? know Dallas, that that was angelo like doing beat poetry i no i didn't know that but um, I actually thought I was trying to listen to it because I was like, "Is it? Did they get like Tom Waits or something to do it?" <laughs> he, he does have that kind yeah. of like they distorted his voice. Angelo Badalamenti like doing weird, yeah, Tom Waits beat poetry. Yeah, something. but <laughs> it was really like it was the one time in the movie where I was like, "All right, this is clearly like David Lynch going, you know what we should do here." And then, like, everyone just going, yeah, all right. And it was, it, it was like, funny to watch. I, I do think it's one of the parts of this movie where, where um, they're nailing it. Like, sure. Yeah. And, and while I, I mean. Like, it's I'm weird gonna, and it doesn't make any sense, but it's not yeah. too, it's not so weird that you're like, nah, this is dumb. It, like, almost fits with, like, what's happening. <laughs> yeah. And I, I would jump to a big picture for just a minute and say, like, in in retrospect, even though I love uh, the parts of this, all the parts in in their own way, like I don't know that I needed to see this story that much. But like they, in moments like this where they're just nailing the characters, um, I love it. Yeah, uh, and so you know, this is the delicious moment for let's, me. <laughs> let's um let's move on to uh, the next scene. I think this is one of the. Th- with the music cue, like his like girl talk or whatever. Like this is the two of them. I think at Donna's house. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. There's the really cool, we get to, we get the really quick part about, Don, you could tell Donna's already really into James, but I love the, the, the talking about being in space. And if you were floating in space, would you kind of slow down? And Laura talks about how you would get fat. You'd go faster and faster and faster until you burst into flames and you'd be on fire forever. And it's like, what is happening? This is not how a 17 year old supposed to talk. So, um, but I've always loved that speech and that, that conversation, um, as dark and as hairy as it is. Cause she ends it with, and the angels wouldn't help you because they've all gone away. 
Um, anyway. Yeah, I think it, I, I mean, I'll, I'll, I love, as I just, uh, as I said earlier, like I love the dialogue between the two girlfriends. Um, yeah. Yeah, I feel like it's they're, what they're doing is like using a play out of kind of like 1950s and 60s movies. It's sure. all that kind of like semi poetic um, speak where people speak more poetically than they really would. But um, uh, yeah, I feel like it it gives it a rhythm and a and you know when. And, Anyway, we'll we'll get to other stuff like it's, that. But it's it's worth noting it's very different from the the show. I feel like just the way yeah. they shot everything, yeah. the way the kind of it feels to I guess to a fault for some people, but I, I enjoy it. Um so then back at her back at the Palmer house, she goes to get her diary from its secret secret hiding spot and she finds that pages have been ripped out and she's freaking out. So she goes to see Dallas, who who'd she go to see? Dallas, uh, your favorite character, Harold Smith, is back. And we knew that he was part of this story because this is why, you know, we were introduced to him in season two. That Laura Dallas, gave- what was your reaction when Harold Smith showed up again? Uh, honestly, like a sense of comfort. <laughs> really? Yeah, like maybe we, maybe this movie's getting back on track a little bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I don't have to be so worried that uh, you know I don't know like Dwight Yoakam is going to show up and like, know, I don't know like Panic Room, you know Dwight yeah yeah, Dwight yeah. Was <laughs> Panic Room like Dwight Yoakam and and Forrest Whitaker <laughs> are going to show up and our next um, podcast is on Panic Room. I love that movie. <laughs> that movie I love. You know it's funny never seen it. Really. <laughs> It's yeah, great. I really haven't seen it. It's, I've always wanted so, to, but I've dude, never seen it. It's David Fincher. It's fantastic. Um, okay, so let's go through this real quick. So she's freaked out because the diary. Watch Jodie Foster's career. That's not true. No, okay. no one. She was a young actress. <laughs> Wait, who played the daughter in that? Wasn't it Kristen Stewart? I think you're right. Yeah, someone famous yeah. was the daughter in that. Um, Okay, so she goes to Harold, gives him the diary. She's freaking out about Bob. I think it's interesting that Harold says, but Bob isn't real. So, like, is that something that he inferred? Or did Laura, has Laura said that? That that she's a mad, it's an interesting line in this scene. Um, I always kind of guess that she told, she told Harold about him, but he assumed that it's, she's making it that up was just because it's so crazy dramatic or yeah. it was a you know a metaphor for something or yeah. yeah well so then we have this like she's like no he's very real and then we get to the really creepy part where she spits out the title of the movie where her face is all white and she's got the black lipstick and the yellow teeth um that is nightmarish yeah it's for pretty me rough, pretty rough um it's Why a, is it something that silly? Like that's one of the worst things in the movie for me. <clears throat> it's it's interesting to note that like we see we kind of saw Wyndham do this at the end of season two, where you yeah. have the white face and the black lipstick. And there's also a really quick shot later on after Leland kills her where we see him in that getup. Um, spoiler alert. We've already if you if you press play on this you watch the movie, um, 
but it's a really I don't they don't explain yeah, it. Yeah, they get it that is. kind of white face and the black lips, and then but there's like a yellowish thing going on in there too. It's yeah. really freaky. Yeah, it's really weird. Um, so one thing that's worth <laughs> noting is um, Harold is the one who made her write it all down. He's she says that, so we kind of have Harold to thank for starting this whole thing in motion, the living novel. Um, anyway. I just thought that was worth mentioning. So then at the Palmer house, there's the uh, kind of creepy moment under the ceiling fan where we're hearing Bob talk to her. And he says, you know, it says the line about, I want to taste through your mouth, which is just horrible, Um, which she says no. And then they have the, you know, the red curtains are there and they dissolve to agent Cooper back in Philadelphia. So, um, Coop is talking to, to Albert, speculating on the next victim. Coop seems to be kind of in tune with where this is going to go, although Albert gives him a hard time because when he says, you know, she's in high school, she's sexually active, she's doing drugs, he's like, you've described all of North America. Um, but there's a funny line where he, he asks what she's doing now, and he says she's preparing a great abundance of food, which she is. She's at the double R getting ready for meals on wheels. Can um, I just go backwards for a second? Totally. Which is that, that scene with her under the fan, like, do we know? I mean, if we've watched twin peaks, we know about Bob, we know about her, but is there any other establishing kind of thing in this movie that takes us to that point where, where he's just talking to her? Yeah, like, how do we know who's talking? Like, if I've never seen anything before, who? how do I know who's talking? At this, at this point, we haven't seen him yet. Well, I guess we saw him in the... In you the, saw him uh, in the store. Yeah, yeah it's it's weird. I, I Not to bring up the missing pieces too much, but there is a longer version of this scene where she walks in and the fan turns on and she looks up. Yeah. And then she's just kind of sitting there and he's talking forever, saying all this kind of stuff. And there's this creepy, crazy kind of thing where she's smiling at yes. it. Yeah. Like she likes it. And it's like one of the freakiest things I've ever seen. Yes. But uh, anyway, I ju- I'm surprised actually to remember that it's it would have been this early in the movie. Yeah. 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 Um, so that, anyway, is a, that, so. Is a, that is one of the one of the best deleted scenes. And it. Well, yeah, it doesn't necessarily like you don't know why or like if this is how they communicate, but it is interesting in that um, it's like her reaction to it, you know, like like you said, she kind yeah. of starts cre- the smile on her face is so creepy, but it's this, like a Joker smile. Kind this of thing. does kind of play a little out of context in terms of like the scene before and the scene afterwards. Um, right. So it's kind of weird. Um, but anyway, so, okay. So she's at, she, we knew she, she ran the meals on wheels. She's at the double R. So this is like, this is one of the few times I feel like Lynch is at least paying Twin Peaks fans like lip service. Like, okay, here's a place that you knew. You know what I mean? Like here are some people that you remember from the show that you loved. Um, so we have like, you know, Shelly and Norma and then Heidi's there. She's like a bloody nose. Um, but we don't get to see them for very long because then, you know, Laura's walking the food out to the car and this is when um, 
John, at this, is it Mrs. Tremont at this point? Do you, do the, does it say yeah. in the subtitles who's talking? Uh, well, I, I know in the credits, it's, that person is Mrs. Chalfont. Okay. So it never refers to them as Tremond yeah. in, in this movie. So oh, that's weird. what's so weird, which is it's obviously Laura went and fed meals to Mrs. Tremond. Yeah. Um, and her son, but like, yeah, because she doesn't like say, Hey, I know you from my route when she sees her. Right. I mean, I'm assuming because she walks up to them, she maybe knows them. There's also this, this weird establishing shot before she's even loading the car of just like the other side of the street. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, there's nothing there, but it's not like a good looking shot or anything. Yeah, and yeah. then, uh, and then she loads the car and then, you know, she sees them and suddenly they're there. Yeah. But, um, yeah, they're not, that's, that's what's the weird thing for me is they're never referred to Mrs. Tremond. They're never referred to as Mrs. Tremond in this movie. Sure. Uh, at least as far as the credits are concerned. So she gives her that, that's a picture. She says this would nice, yeah. look nice on your wall. And that's when the kid um, talks about the man behind the mask and he's looking for the missing pages. Um, and this is when Laura kind of starts freaking out and she bails. She's like, I can't, I can't do Meals on Wheels today. I got to go. So then we have, this is like my least favorite scene in the movie, which she goes back to her house because she feels like, you know, this is something where she's got to go find out what's going on really slow moving shot up the stairs or around the living room before she goes up the stairs and she's slowly opening her door. And of course there's Bob and we are like forced to see the inside of his throat. And it's so freaking scary. And Laura runs out sobbing just like I do every time I watch the scene. <laughs> um, now he seems to see her. Yeah. Does does he not see her? Like no, I think he sees her. So that that's my thing is that he sees her. She runs out, but then like Leland seems to not know. Yeah, no, really. That's a, that's a good point. Um, um, what's happened for a, at least for a long time? I don't know, or maybe that's why he gets so agitated. I think as the movie goes on, my, like my <clears throat> viewing of this last time for me, the mystery of this movie is no longer like who is Judy or what is the corn. It's like, what did Leland do? How much right. did he know? Right. What was he? Because I feel like we left. What did Leland know and when did he know it? Yeah. Because <laughs> that to yeah. me is what this movie is, is like we kind of left him in the show going, okay, well he was, they kind of paint him as an innocent, but I feel like this movie says like, no, he was way more involved. In I'm going to, yeah, let me divert from that. Well, not divert from it, but like sidebar on that. Like he in this movie, he is like if you didn't know Twin Peaks at all, and maybe this was a choice by the filmmakers, like we want to make this a movie that people <laughs> I'm laughing as I say it, but people that haven't seen the show can maybe make some sense of. So we're just going to villainize him basically. Like yeah. he's just going to be a broad stroke, evil, abusive father, um, which is basically how he comes across in this movie, except for the like one time that he goes in and kind of is crying and sure. Is there a kiss? But other than that, that's his one moment. 
Um, if you look at the deleted scenes, there are scenes where they're all kind of being joyful and happy as a family. Even the mom, who you never see smile in all of the series, is kind of like making jokes and laughing. And yeah, you yeah, could yeah. see that as a family. Um, if you if you've ever seen the trailer for this movie, like the the new line, like early '90s trailer, it's a total like new line horror movie trailer where it's like <laughs> doom doom doom. An evil father, and like you see him like looking out the windows, you know, with rage. Like they they sold the movie as like, oh, it's a girl and her evil father who wants to like, yeah, murder her basically. Sure. Um, I mean, those are outside elements, but it is interesting to note. Like, I wonder what they would have done, knowing like, okay, if people know he killed her. What part of him are we going to explore as we do this, like, prequel story? And it seemed like in the final cut, they just went with, like, yeah, we're going to make him the crazy, jealous, evil bad guy. As opposed to, like, the guy who dances and sings and, like, you know. Hey, real quick, real quick. Dallas, you still here? Um, yeah. (laughs) Okay, just checking. Um, yeah, that Bob scene was pretty scary. <laughs> I, I know, I think so too. I have to skip it if I watch it. Like, uh, this there's Bob, scenes in this movie that I have to like skip past. Yeah, Bob was never more scary than in this movie. Like he's legitimately. It's like it's, to him hiding behind the dresser was like yeah. so scary. Like, no, that, yeah. that's the part we're talking about right now. I know. That's why I jumped in yeah. and said that, Sean. Yeah. Thank you. No, well, you I'm jumped listening. in. You jumped in because I asked. I asked for you to feel free, Dallas. You're part of this podcast. Um, okay, no, so, I know. So Laura runs out. So we we do see her run out. We see Leland come out, and she's like losing her mind. So from what we know about Laura Palmer, this character Bob has been in her life for at this point five years, right? This is like how long he's been around, and she's just now figuring out who he really is. Um, she is shocked and totally shaken up to see. Leland come out of the house, but not convinced completely because, you know, maybe it was just Leland, you know, came home for no reason, but she's very, very, very disturbed. Understand. Do you want to know my theory? Please. My theory is that Leland came home, had to take a dump, <laughs> and while he was in the bathroom, Bob jumped into his body then. Like and then through she- the toilet? Up to the toilet, like in uh, that one movie. And Tremors. then he came out of the house. Tremors. And then he came out of the house. And Laura Flynn Boyle knew immediately, like, oh, no. He, they, he went up his butt. Like, it's he's Bob now. And this is going to be a bummer because, like, he'll probably kill me. Because that was my favorite toilet. <laughs> that was my favorite toilet. I can't ever sit on the toilet again. Not when demons are going up people's butts. <laughs> it's pretty good. It's a pretty good theory. It like makes that. me happy. Pretty much, this is what I think season three is going to be about. <laughs> she goes. She goes to see Donna. She's very upset. It's 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 weird. They cut out the scene where she's like, Donna, can I use your toilet? <laughs> <laughs> That's not that's not of the missing pieces, unfortunately. Um, no, but it but it is in the missing poopers. <laughs> You're done. You're done. We're done. 
We have to, by the way, we have to keep moving. Because if I tell you the truth that we're not even halfway through this movie, you're both going to hang up on me. <laughs> Sean, do you know that I know we're not halfway through the movie? Do yeah, you know that? I know that. that. I'm so upset that we aren't already on the credits. I know, I'm working on it. So okay, um, keep going. After, after going to see Donna dinner at the Palmer house, which should be a great time. Um, so really cool to come home after what she had experienced earlier that day. Ray Wise is so, like you said, Johnny's so creepy in this movie. And even though he, as soon as she walks in, tells her to sit down, he's upset at her for not going to wash her hands before eating dinner. And it's this really uncomfortable scene where he's like hovering over her and he sees the necklace and he's like, is this from a lover? And poor Mrs. Palmer is like trying to defuse this, but it's just it's awful. so hard to watch. Yeah, it's really so rough. Hard to watch. So she's like, you know, he's like, go wash your hands. And I wrote like, oh, what? Are you going to kill me? Oh, okay, maybe. Okay, I'll go wash my hands. Um this is the point, John, where you mentioned that they have they give Leland a moment. So he is in his room after this happens, and he just starts crying, and he's like this super sad moment from our perspective where he goes into her room, and you know he's maybe for a moment he's just kind of with it, and he says goodnight, princess, um, and he's so sad, and you feel like again this is my question is like where is Leland at points most of this movie you feel like Bob is in control but you know what is what what was Leland what wasn't um, this is at least one moment where you feel like it, this is the Leland who you know yeah in this movie I feel like it's mostly Bob's in control sure. like I feel like they they cut out any scenes where he wasn't sure um, so so okay. so this is the like lone moment where he's and and when he when he gets all kind of weepy you know even like in the series i wonder you know is that does he know what happened or does is that just a kind of like oh my i my spirit has regained control here yeah and i'm feeling this stuff and i don't know how to get rid of it so i'm just gonna weep it out or kind of uh go try and connect with somebody sure um, um, yeah, anyway. it's a, but it's a great moment with Ray Wise. I, I feel like whatever yeah. your feelings on this movie, he's fantastic in this. Um, yes, absolutely. So this next scene is this dream sequence where Laura was given that photograph earlier in the day and was told to hang it on your wall. Um, she has a moment before that where she's looking up. She has this little, like, it's like a smaller kind of painting of these angels at a table and she's thinking about what she has seen and she's asking them, is it true? Is it true that, you know, that her dad is Bob? Um, and then that's when she, hangs I thought the she picture. was saying, is it, I thought she was saying, is it true that like angels watch over us? Um, I guess, I mean, but I just, that was the question and that she seemed to be wrestling yeah. with is like, is that, could it possibly sure. be him? Whereas the angels, the only thing that she's mentioned is the angels, in that speech about catching on fire. Um, anyway, um, I don't know. It could be, it very possibly could be because she's talking to them. It seems like she's asking them. Um, so when she hangs the picture on the wall, she then goes to sleep and we kind of enter that picture through her dream. So we see Mrs. Tremond or Mrs. Chalfont guiding her through a room. And then we see her grandson. Uh, like I said, who I've kind of always thought might be the guy they call the magician. Uh, when he snaps his fingers, we see like a big light and then we're in the red room. Um, and Cooper is there with the little man. I love the little man's line here about, do you know who I am? I am the arm and I sound like this. And he does the Indian whooping sound. 
Um, so I feel like this is the first time they bring this up that he actually is Mike's arm that he cut off. That is who the little man is. I don't feel like we got to that in the series at all, unless no, I'm wrong. We didn't. And we no. are further. This is further oh, made wow. like made real when at the end of it, he they like connect when they're talking to Bob, um, which is huh, really. Cool. I didn't get that. Sure. And in the original script and deleted scenes, he says, I am the arm twice. Yeah. Like he says it here and then he says it again at the end after all the other stuff has happened. Sure. Um, Quick question. Do you think the wallpaper in the picture is like the wallpaper in the (laughs) crack den, for lack of a better word? Above That's a the good um, question, and I'd actually have it to. It like look. occurred to me for the first time uh, last night. Um, yeah, but uh, and then also, have you talked about how like the boy who you're saying is the magician in the TV show that was David Lynch's son? Yes, playing that part, but in the movie, it's some it's another, somebody else, another actor. Yeah. I don't know why maybe they did just that. Like, looked, you know, well, maybe. He looked, he, he might have looked too Maybe old. Maybe he grew five inches in, yeah. in a year, you know, like totally. some good young people do. But that's a good. That's a really good question as to what that room is, and that could very well be the room that we were seeing earlier. Part of that, you know, apartment <laughs> or whatever, wherever they were, and it, it's worth it'd it be worth going back to look yeah. at. It occurred to me more last night. I've never thought of this before. Just between the movie and then again to mention the missing pieces, like there's so many shots of those dark places and then shots of them walking in and out of the red curtains of the red room. Like you said. So I'm like, Oh, maybe they're trying to connect. Well, that would make sense because maybe these are all different parts of the same place. You know, he snaps his fingers and they go into the red room in the same way that we were in the, the convenience store earlier. And then all of a sudden he says, I followed them. Um, It's, those are some, yeah, those are questions I, I wish I, I knew, and I, maybe we'll find out more. Um, but this uh, scene is where after he tells Cooper who he is, he shows Laura the ring. Um, they don't talk, Cooper and the little man, about it, but Cooper just kind of is surmising that this is bad for Laura, and he tells her not to take the ring. Um, people talk about this scene just forever about what it means what the ring means why did cooper tell her not to take it you know was the little man telling her to take it just by presenting it to her um you know my theory on the ring is that you know i think it's obvious it gave her the power to not be killed at the end of this why cooper told her not to take it i don't know um he doesn't like he doesn't seem sure when he says that so yeah. Wait, what? what? It gave her the power not to be killed. I'm sorry, not to be possessed by Bob. Oh. Yeah, my my latest, I mean, I was even kind of texting you about this the other day, but I, I've never been able to figure this out. And my my latest feeling is that possibly if you wear the ring, it makes you a target. But at least you can't be possessed, basically. Sure. Um but that's I know that's like sounds like crazy people talking. So no, I, I again, I, there's that's kind of for me. That's kind of the fun of this is like, right? There's no wrong answer because there's no answer. Like it, it, that's what he does. Like, and like yeah. honestly, David Lynch 
David Lynch is for podcasting. David Lynch was for these. These are the th- <laughs> like these are movies. These are shows. These are pieces of art that are worth discussing. Like that's why he makes art the way he does is because he doesn't give you the answer. You know, like it's your right. job to think about it. And I don't think that there is necessarily for some of these questions we've had forever. I don't know that there is a right answer. There's a million theories, and I think that's what he likes. That's what he enjoys, and that's mm-hmm. what he's good at creating. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, right. But in Laura's case, the ring represents a way to keep Bob from possessing her. So, why Cooper would tell her not to take it? My only thought is like, if Laura doesn't take the ring, maybe she doesn't get possessed by Bob. But Cooper doesn't end up in the red room because Laura wouldn't have died. He wouldn't have come to Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. Just my thought. Um, mm-hmm. So back to the dream, Laura wakes up, um, or maybe she does. We don't know if this is actually she's awake. She's probably still dreaming um, because her arm is numb, kind of like Teresa Banks. When she turns back to her bed, she sees Annie Blackburn in her bed. She's completely, her face is all bloody, and it's worth noting she's in Caroline's dress, not the black dress she was in. When she went into the red room at the end of season two, she says, my name is Annie. I've been with Dale and Laura. The good Dale is in the lodge and he can't leave. Write it in your diary. Um, the reason to me this is important is that David Lynch, in an interview uh, in that book, Lynch on Lynch, talks about this being something where if Laura wrote this in her diary, that maybe this changed something. <clears throat> that maybe someone would have seen this later on when they are investigating and it might have kind of tweaked things. This is kind of important in looking at like, I'm not going to get into the book, the secret history of Twin Peaks, but potentially that. And then also season three as to like what is happening. This might be really, really crucial. It might not be at all, but it also is worth mentioning, John, it reminds me of um, lost highway when the movie starts with a piece of information that is given. And then like it changes the whole course of the outcome um, you know, the, the whole Dick Laurent is dead thing. So right, right. It's, it's something he's done before, and I'm just curious if what happened here in this scene is going to change anything of what we're going to see going forward. Um, yeah, I, I like, I'm so conflicted about how I feel about, like, theories like that. Um I have that Lynch on Lynch book, but I haven't read it, you know, in 20 yeah. years or yeah. something. So, um, but yeah, I'm, I don't know how I feel about like, Oh, they're going to use that because they couldn't get Heather Graham or maybe they could, or they chose not to sure. create a different timeline or something. But, but, but I, I do know that, yeah, that stuff in the book is like, really head scratching where it doesn't line up with what we know. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if that's where they're going to go, I'll follow them there. I just, I just think it's worth mentioning in that Lynch talked about yeah. that, but not, and this was before the show was coming back. He just said like, I've always thought that scene was interesting where maybe, <clears throat> maybe that changed stuff. And, and again, maybe that had nothing, uh-huh. it has nothing to do with anything, but it right. is, look, he did put this in the movie and it's a very weird thing that Annie would just show up. <laughs> And obviously, this is Laura's dream. So what's crazy too is like you know until we had the missing pieces, that was literally the only piece of, other than seeing Dale Cooper in the lodge, or the red room doing sure. stuff, that was the only 
piece of like the it would being a post series yeah Yeah, that was the closest thing to a you know what happened after dale smashed his head on the mirror kind of thing and it Um, and it also like worth noting that when we see dale in this movie i don't know that it's the future like apparently time seems to like just be on its own thing there is is um is it in the movie forgive me is it in the movie or just the pieces where the little man is in the red room with him and he says is this future or past that's the missing pieces that's the missing pieces which there you go there's your that's like that's what maybe it's maybe they cut it because it's on the nose you know it's a little too obvious exactly exactly it um Okay, so the she turns back from Annie and sees that the ring is in her hands. And what's funny is I've always thought it was really weird that this is when she screams, not when she sees the like girl who's has a bloody face in her bed. Right. She when sees, she sees the empty bed, the music is like dun dun dun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, you were cool with that, but not with the other thing. Um and this is after this she's kind of hearing something outside her door. And she goes to the door to see what's out there. And she looks back at the picture and she sees herself in that room, um, which is really cool, but scary. And anyway, um, when she finally actually wakes up from this dream, the ring is gone. And she, she, you know, understandably takes that photo quickly off the wall. Um, but yeah, that's, I love that scene. It's really, there's a lot going on. And um, I think it's worth it, it looking into the wallpaper and seeing if maybe that place is what we were seeing earlier on in the film where, where Agent Jeffries was. Um, mm-hmm. But I actually will tell you guys that I think, and I'm hoping we can keep, we can continue, but this is actually halfway through the film. So oh I'd like gosh. to break up the podcast oh into two pieces. And so whether, <laughs> whether or not I can convince you guys to keep going or if we're going to come back and do this another time, I think this is, this is the point where we're going to call this part a, um, so that's, yeah. that's firewalk with me up to halfway through the movie. <clears throat> oh man. Sorry guys. I, I just came back in. What <laughs> can we take or can I take two minutes to, uh, let's let, we're going to, Take a break. Take gonna, a two-minute break or something. I'm going to tell you all who are listening. Thank you for listening. We will have a part B. I'm not sure if I'm going to we're going to record it right now, but it is going to happen at some point. So, thank you for listening. To be continued. Thank you, John. Thank you, Dallas. Uh, hopefully, Dallas thank will be you. back. Hopefully, Dallas will be back for part B. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, sorry. Is part B in the movie? Am I missing something? <laughs> We're going to pivot over to do B-Movie, Jerry Seinfeld's animated feature with the B. Oh, uh, Matthew Broderick was great. <laughs> I think that we can get through the second half much quicker because there's a lot of like stuff that doesn't mean as much, I guess, <laughs> is what I would think. All right. We're gonna, yeah, that's going to be up to you, Chatty Cathy. So we're going we're gonna to cut. We're going to cut here, and we're going to powwow. And either way, for you listening, okay. it'll be instantaneous. <laughs> I'm going to post both of them whenever we get them done. Thank you for listening. Keep listening. To be continued, part two coming up next. Mmm, yeah. Dig that, Kurtz. Don't let yourself be hurt this time. Don't let yourself be hurt this time. Don't let yourself be hurt this 
Then I saw your face Then I saw your smile The sky is still blue The clouds come and go Yet something is different Are we falling in love? Don't let yourself be hurt this time. Don't let yourself be hurt this time. Then your kiss so soft, then your touch so warm. The stars still shine bright, the mountains still high. Yet something is different. Yes, something is different now. The guitar came in. I feel like I'm floating. Floating above a keyboard and a guitar. A guitar. Are we falling in love? Falling, falling, are we falling in love? Mm. That's the ketchup. I like coffee, donuts. <laughs> Russ Tamblin.